guys and welcome to The Daily Hustle. Today we have a super special guest. His name's Matt Jones and Matt Jones was actually an old staff member of mine and I wanted to bring him on the show because he's just started a new kind of gig as a freelancer and he's going through and actually helping businesses with their tech SEO but also like there's a big journey behind what he's doing and I thought it'd be super interesting to have the conversation around how he's got to where he's got to any advice for technical SEO around scaling businesses as well as finding your passion and actually changing your direction because that's sometimes important. So let's start. So Matthew, it's so good to have you on the show. Um, Let's just talk firstly about how we met, what brought us together and I guess what we're going to be doing on this podcast as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we're going to be technical about it, I suppose we actually met through a Google Hangout. (laughs) So obviously it all came from, I suppose, my first initial interview with Circulate, uh, where you were just a face and maybe some shoulders on a screen. Um, But I think it was probably, do you know what? I think off the top of my head, it was about three weeks after I joined Circulate, we had the client trip to Barcelona, so that's when we first met in person. Um, and I actually had proof, you know, that you had the rest of your body, not just a head. Uh, but yeah, I suppose that was it. We uh, we pretty much just met through the interview, really, the interview process. Fantastic. It was it was so good having you at the team at Circulate. It's it was a shame when you left, but I really wanted to do this podcast because um, obviously you've you've been with a couple of different businesses now. Um, but you were a real asset to us when you were with us, and um, it was a credit to have you on the team. But now you're kind of out building your own profile and um, yeah, you're, you're a specialist and expert around you know, technical SEO. Um, so yeah, I, I really wanted to get you on because I think you're a real credible kind of character in the industry and I thought it'd be interesting to have you on today. So welcome to The Daily Hustle, Matthew. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, let's just like kind of inform some of the listeners about the kind of stuff we got up to. Like th- tell them about some of your experiences when you were with us, Matthew. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh dear. Um, where to start? I mean, most of them happen on client trips, we can't lie. Um, we've had some absolutely amazing client trips, like the ones to Barcelona. Um, there was one in Brighton. I don't know if you remember where we stayed in the marina. Like, that was really nice. There's been more questionable ones. Um, do you remember we went to London and we thought, in fact, there was, there was twice, um, two, two London trips where this occurred. And one of them, we had this... It was an absolutely stunning house because um, I think four of us went down. It was a four-bed house, absolutely amazing. We got there. We were like, this house is incredible. Looked outside, we're like, oh, it's got a trampoline. That's amazing. Okay, let's quickly run to the shop and, you know, grab a few snacks and stuff. Walk to the shop and realise what's in our back garden? Islington Prison. <laughs> so that was, we were just kind of like, oh, that, that's a bit strange. Um <laughs> Oh, there was the other one as well. Um, I can't remember exactly oh, where we stayed. Scotland. Yes, oh, no, there it was. London. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. There was. It was a flat in the. It like, was a proper ghetto flat, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit of a ghetto yeah. flat. Really nice inside. Don't get me wrong. Like it was a lovely flat. My main issue is my bedroom was facing the front walkway where everyone had walked past, and the curtains weren't curtains. It was more of a mesh material. I could literally see straight out of them all night. And I was thinking, I don't want to sleep tonight. This isn't going to go well. 
<laughs> yeah, so as you could probably tell, me and Matthew have had some good times and some bad times. <laughs> and <laughs> I think this is why we can sit here today and laugh about our experience together as kind of, you know, working together and being friends as well. So, uh, but yeah, it's such a credit to have you on the show, Matthew. And I think like what I wanted to talk about with you today was really technical SEO for ambitious brands, because we all love an ambitious brand, don't we? we I think ambitious brands is, you know, people that actually change direction. Uh, a lot and they they really test what other people are doing to to make advance so i think matthew's a really really interesting character when it comes to technical seo and actually has worked with a lot of our brands of course with with kind of pacing our way through being better at technical seo so i guess let's talk about like what you kind of class as an ambitious brand what you've seen in your seo experience and and kind of go from there yeah, definitely. I mean, I think everyone's probably got their own different opinion on what an ambitious brand or what the definition of that actually is. But I think for me, pretty much like you were saying, it's a brand that's not afraid to try new things. Yeah. You know, when it comes to marketing, everything's changing. We can't just sit down for a month and think <laughs> everything will be the same at the end of this month. It changes daily. And, you know, for me, an ambitious brand is someone who you turn around to them in a client meeting and say, there's this new trend going off. I really want to try it. It, it. You know, it's not being tried and tested by thousands of people, but I think it's going to be good. Let's give it a go. To me, an ambitious brand is the one who turns around and goes, yeah, okay, go on, off you go, do it. Let me know how it goes. That's an ambitious brand. It's someone who's not afraid to test new waters and, and kind of try and, you know, try all these new trends that are actually in well, some cases, they might not work, but in most cases... It's just going to become standard in the next six months, but they're ahead of the trend in that case. Yeah, I think in going on to that, actually, like trends have changed a lot in the last three months specifically. Like, and and actually, your journey has really started in the last three months. About what kind of trends have you spotted around tech SEO and and what's going on there? Well, I mean, the biggest one is probably the meltdown of uh, Google announcing that Universal Analytics is going to be no more as of next year. So. Everyone needs to jump on GA4. Um, yeah, it wasn't the uh, best timing to hear that, you know, just I'm starting out on my journey. But that that's probably a big one is the tracking, I think, is people, some people have already adopted GA4, you know, and they love it. Yeah. Personally, it's not been something that I've spent loads of time looking into at the minute. Um, obviously, I am now. I don't really have a choice, but <laughs> it, it's a complete overhaul of how things are actually going to be tracked and how you can access that data. So, you know, there's other little trends going off at the minute, but I think that is the big one because fundamentally that's going to change a lot of people's strategies. You know, we can't carry the data across. We know we've got just over a year. So if you want a year's worth of data, we need to act now. So I think a lot of people are kind of just throwing themselves into saying, I'm going to read every article I can find on GA4, give it a test on a website and find out how we can really do this. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think you're completely right. It's it's kind of shocked a lot of people. I actually posted something out on um on my uh, LinkedIn, which was the the Will versus Rock yes. slap. GA4 <laughs> that slap. So <laughs> I completely understand the pain point. <laughs> so, what, do you, what do you think is important for businesses to- businesses to actually invest in now then in terms of like looking at that j4 what we're going to see i think a lot of that is investing in 
people or companies or you know whoever it is that really understand it now obviously as i say some people already really understand it i i not really hesitate to say a lot of marketers haven't fully thrown themselves into it but mm. give us a month we'll be you know self-proclaimed ga4 experts is what we do best but i think it's really understanding the implications that's going to have yeah so it's not just a small update it is literally as of i believe it's june next year so 2023 you won't be able to carry across your current data now some companies have got data running back 10 years they can't carry that across so you can't do a huge scale you know kind of comparison and i think it's really working with whether it's internal teams agencies freelancers anyone and getting things set up as soon as possible but truly understanding how it works because it's so different it's not just a case of i'll put the tracking code on the website test it works and then leave it running and then you know manipulate that data however everything's classified differently in ga4 It, it does become a lot more confusing i think on the face value of it yeah, and actually, when we talk about ambitious brands, this is where I think ambitious brands are going to step in and carve the way because I think they're, you know, like like we said, they're all up for you know testing new things, and you know we're being forced into that now. So it's actually when we've had clients come through, sometimes that have had so many, more more GA um, GA profiles than I can even count. Like, I mean, you've probably seen it. Businesses for some reason sometimes just create new GA profiles and start tracking different profiles you know it goes it just goes mad so i guess like you said like carrying across to the new ga4 is going to be a big change because everyone's going to have to do it so it's it's a new data set it's a new rules it's going to be different yeah exactly and i do think we might actually as well see a bit of an uprising in other analytics platforms mm-hmm. so you know adobe analytics as an example is relatively well used at the moment i mean i say that i've never actually worked with a client who had that set beforehand um but it is probably one of the larger players in the game outside of obviously google and i think you know this is probably what we've noticed in the past when they've been forcing new versions of products that people have known for 10 years you know it's kind of we're learning it completely fresh so at the same time why not have a look at what else is on the market? You know, why not think, well, is Adobe Analytics, for example, going to give me a more similar experience to what I'm used to? Yeah. Shall we cross over to there? Because we're still going to lose the data regardless. So I, I think there will be a bit of an uprising in some of the smaller platforms becoming larger. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I didn't think about it that way, so it's a good way to look at it. Um so I always, I always, I'm a big hero of Google Analytics, hero fan, whatever you want to call fanboy. Like <laughs> I go wild for it. I just think it's a great platform. I've never really looked into any other providers. So, like for myself and like for our clients, we always kind of want to use GA because it's kind of a best practice platform for a lot of businesses. But yeah, it's interesting that you say that you could you could actually maybe look at alternatives now. It might be an interesting route to take. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people. You know, one thing Google's got right over the past is linking all of their products together so seamlessly. So, you know, we're going to use analytics because we can pull Google Ads data straight into it. Like Data Studio, it's all basically pre-built. We just need to 
you know, add the account. But as you start to move on, any, let's say, for example, data studio dashboards now, well, in a year's time, that data is not going to work because they're all using universal analytics. So you have to rebuild it as GA4. So if you're going to do that, at the same time, you might think, am I better off going somewhere else? So I think it's a risky move from them. I understand why they've done it. And, you know, things do need to progress and move on. But it's one thing I'm keeping my eye on is is to basically see the impact it has on, I suppose, Google's analytics offering in the future. Yeah, this is exactly why I wanted to bring you on the show, Matthew. You've got a different (laughs) outlook on it, sorry. And uh, I think that's really fantastic for anyone listening. Actually, you know, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, God, yeah, actually, this is a big update. Like, we need to have a think about how that's going to roll out. And, um, yeah, huge, huge um, tracking updates have happened in the last 12 months. If we go back to, like, Facebook, for example, like, they basically, you now can't track users that have, you know, opted into the latest Apple updates. And that's caused havoc. Um, So anything to do with tracking, like measurement, does cause havoc when it comes to you know marketing and technical yeah definitely i mean the facebook ones are really interesting kind of spin on it as well because technically it wasn't actually anything facebook did themselves it was apple's update that then forced facebook to do it but the impact that had i was i think i was maybe listening to a youtube video the other day um that touched on it i can't remember exactly but there was a figure that was pretty high in terms of the amount of drop off facebook had from the advertisers yeah because obviously if you can't really track it you know you start to question how useful is it to use this moving forward but that was an outside influence apple caused that not facebook so google making this change themselves you'd hope they've got more backup in mind of like maybe a few extra plans but who knows in fact even earlier today slightly off topic i know but i got an email um the Google My Business app for sort of, you know, Apple and Android phones is now yeah. changing. And I think it's going to be called, if I remember correctly, something like Search and Maps. So again, they're overhauling like a Google My Business app and it, it, they're making a lot of changes that, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to go. Sometimes <laughs> didn't change it if it's functional and working. Like they say, don't change, change it if it's not broken, right? So... Yeah, 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 exactly. A lot, a lot to think about with that. <laughs> I think, it's, like, actually, uh, we're as like a, you know, we're like a performance marketing. We look at a lot of like the the paid social stuff, and like we've seen, obviously, that as a, when it comes down to tracking, like, yeah, there has been a, a loss of visibility, and but you have to actually evolve with the game. So we do a lot of first party data collection now. It works pretty well in Facebook platform. There's lots of different things that we do now to that we, you know. Paid social 12 months ago is like completely different to paid social now. You go a lot more broad, your targeting is totally different. And um, yeah, I think this is like a lot of marketing. And and when we talk about scaling brands as well, like technical SEO is going to be so different, you know, next year maybe, like in compared to what it is now, forever evolving. And um, I think this is why we love working in marketing really, because you get a lot of challenges yeah, exactly. I think the funny thing is when we talk about ambitious brands, by default, you know, you, me, and pretty much anyone in the agency or, you know, marketing world is probably thinking, oh, like client-wise, but actually when you think about it, some of the most ambitious brands in the world are actually digital marketing, whether agencies, freelancers, you know, yeah. conglomerates, whoever it is, 
you know, because we have to be willing to test new things, be wrong, but actually own up to being wrong and learning from that mistake and, you know, just really push things forward because we don't actually have a choice. It's just the nature of the industry we work in. On that one, actually, because that's that spins up a really interesting question. I think, do you think everyone can win at SEO? Do you think like it's a difficult thing to crack? Like, I mean, we invest a lot of money into our own SEO now, and it's starting to pay off. But like, you know, we are a long way into our journey. Like, can other businesses? Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that everyone can win at SEO. I think yeah. what really needs to be focused on for each individual company or brand is what does winning actually mean so for example for some brands winning means being number one for the top 10 search terms for their business for others it could just simply be being in the top five results driving that higher traffic and you know doing some cro to improve the conversion rate which inevitably then leads to more revenue and i think So it depends who you ask. I think it depends what an SEO thing to say. But some people will say, no, not everyone can win because if they're focusing simply on number one position, not everyone can win. There's only one number one position per term. Like that's just the nature of it. It's a finite thing. But realistically, you don't always need to be number one for every term you look at because at the end of the day, a business is about making money, whether it's through product revenue leads and then obviously you know converting those leads at the end of the day a business is about making money so i think you can everyone can win because you can use seo to essentially just improve your bottom line revenue figures as a business yeah and that takes various different shapes but that's where you really need to think about it so everyone can win you just need to think smartly about what is winning and what does winning look like for us yeah, like to be honest with you, like I mean, you know what we're like. We want we want to be a number one spot for everything uh, <laughs> at Circulate. So we we've put a lot of work into our SEO more recently. But like, you know, I think it's about being ambitious to to get there. But you know, we there's twenty five to thirty thousand agencies in the UK. Like that's a that's built up of you know small one man bands to like that have their own kind of brand agency to big agencies, large scale ones. Um, that's actually a, a statistic that I pulled out of um, my mentor's book, Gareth Healy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm relying on you for that one, Gareth, if you're listening. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, like to actually achieve that number one spot, you've got to think you're up against 25,000 to 30,000 businesses that are probably all trying to go for that. Maybe there's less than that because a lot of niche agencies out there. You know, we hit number one spot for paid social agency. That's like for us is a great spot to be in the UK and actually throughout a lot of different countries as well, we rank number one. So it's achieving that is a goal, but oh, did we think we were going to get there? I didn't think we'd be able to get there easily. It's taken a long time, which I think now comes on to my next question really is in terms of expectations, like short-term, long-term, like most people say, oh yeah, it takes six months to see progress. But you know, some people may have been doing it for, you know, eight years already so making minor tweaks to the site might actually help to speed that process up how do you look at seo long term short term mid term so in general if i'm talking to any clients or or just anyone i do tend to say it is a long-term game not as a bit of a cop-out answer or to you know 
fit what everyone else is saying. But gem, like genuinely, it is a long term game. But that's because it kind of goes on to what we just touched on. What is winning? Because you might have ten different goals or KPIs that all do lead to making more money, but they're going to take various lengths of time. So I think the way I try to say it is, obviously when I'm talking to a client, it's kind of get that initial list of what is your overall goal? What are the main KPIs you want to achieve through SEO? And I'm talking long-term, not what do you want to achieve next month? It's what do you want to achieve? So that's the long-term sorted. Short-term, the first thing I'll say to them is, you know, you've either had another agency or freelancer, in-house, whatever it is, you've either done or not done SEO beforehand. Regardless, mm. I'm going to run an audit. I'll run an audit even if I'm taking, you know, your contract on from a different agency because that allows you to really figure out the short and medium-term goals. You know, you run that audit, you pull apart the website. You know, you don't have to be nice about it. I think that's the problem. It's you want to give them the doom and gloom of it all, <laughs> basically, because that's what they're coming to you for. And from that, you get a list of however many problems it is. Well, that's your short and medium-term goals right there. Your short-term is get that audit complete, create a list of everything that needs doing, and also making sure the client understands what you're telling them. They don't need to understand exactly how to fix it, but you know you don't want to go out them with jargon. It's literally making sure by the end of month one, month two, your client understands the work you've done, they've got a brief idea of what issues you've said this is a problem with, but also just building up that rapport. And I think yeah. that's it's so important, especially in SEO, because it does take a bit longer. Naturally, we can't deny that. Yeah. Some things are, you know, low-hanging fruit, quick wins. That's fine. Get them implemented, do them. Other things are larger strategies. And if they come to you wanting a migration and they've got six months before they want to do it, well, that's not a short-term goal, is it? Do you know what I mean? That's six months of solid work to get ready for it. So I think building the rapport is always the short-term goal. It's making sure that client goes, do you know what? We've made the right decision. Like You've come back to us with X, Y, Z. You've obviously got your expertise. You've explained it in a way that everyone in the business can understand, but also you're just a nice person. We get along with you. I think that's super important. Yeah, do you know what? I think like that, the whole thing about relationship there, we did um, a, a quarterly business review with a client the other day and we asked them why they'd stay with Circulate and they said it's because of the relationship that we have. Like the results are great. Um, but she said, actually, she pointed at me and went, you were the reason I stayed with Circulate. <laughs> and that was obviously quite a nice thing for me. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's that relationship in that long-term kind of game plan is really important. I completely agree with you. And like, you know, actually, which kind of brings me on to the new thing is when you're getting bigger, you start actually expanding to new territories. And and like we get a lot of businesses asking us about expansion into new territories. So like if we're talking about ambitious brands scaling internationally, like what do you think brands need to consider when they're actually going through that growth? Yeah, oof. Now that's a question. Um, there's quite a lot of things I think that they really have to think about. And, you know, that ranges from anything to do with marketing right down to the true business side of it. You know, 
VAT, taxes, bills, everything like that, the cost of shipping if they have something to ship. And yeah, I've actually done this with a few clients recently as well in terms of trying to help them not fully expand internationally, but you know, start targeting new territories, dip their feet in, see how it goes. Mm. And a lot of it, you know, it's thinking everyone's different, like every country is different. So for example, you could have a brand turn around and say, okay, we want to expand. We'll go to USA and Canada because they're English speaking countries. So it's a bit easier. We don't have to do X, Y, Z. But the thing is you do, like they speak differently. They have different slang, if you want to call it, or, you know, they use different grammar, different words. And it's tiny little bits like that on a website as well can make a huge difference. And generally that's probably one of the worst examples I could have given because most of the time people do take it with a pinch of salt. If we go on a website that's clearly written in American English, we aren't offended. We don't leave and go, <laughs> now find someone else. I customers quite like it. Like, yeah. you know, we've been pitching recently for an American food chain um, that have opened up in England. And I actually love the, the look of it. I really love it because it's so yeah. American. It looks just cool. <laughs> Definitely. And I think that's probably half of it in terms of like the business side. So the financials of going international plus, you know, choosing your countries that you're going to go to or territories. The flip side that I've probably got a bit more footing <laughs> to talk about is obviously the SEO side, you know, the domain. Do you currently sit on .com or are you .co.uk? Just using an English brand, a UK brand as an example. Now, if you sat on .co.uk, it's not impossible to yeah. expand, but it's a lot harder to rank a .co.uk website in Canada than it is a .com website. Exactly. So it's thinking, do we need to buy the new domains? Do we just need to move on to a .com? Then it's thinking, you know, hreflang, you know, are we actually going into new countries that don't speak our language? You know, are we going into French, Spanish, German, whatever it might be? Then it's additionally thinking, how are we maintaining those translations? There's yeah. countless apps out there depending on what cms you use are they accurate sometimes sometimes yeah. not you can take it with a pinch of salt and if you are going to pay if you want it to be accurate you can but you pay them and they'll get a translator but then it's weighing up is it cheaper to just hire a translator or hire someone who actually speaks those languages so it is really hard to think about expanding into new territories like there's a lot more that goes into it than people think but the main thing is just really doing your research that that's the yeah. biggest thing for me of saying we might have a great presence in the uk in whatever our industry is or whatever we we sell or our products are but who's actually leading that market in germany in spain france greece wherever it might be and it's really trying to see how much of a chance do we actually have against this brand? You know, yeah. how big are they? What are they investing into it? It's true. Like, to be honest, Matthew, I mean, we've just um, signed a brand um, that want us to actually take, well, basically take their .com site. And, you know, I'm based over in Spain, so they're a Spanish client of ours. Um, and they want um, the American and English version of the site, but they also want the Spanish version. And they've got 
hundreds of thousands of pages. So there's a big process involved in that. Now, I think like I'm trying to weigh out whether it's whether it's worth, you know, the, the main category pages really going down that route of making sure that they're translated properly. And then, yeah, using something like an app to do like the thousands of blog content pieces that have genuinely built up a, a shit ton of rankings for them. Like, but doing that using like hreflang and actually making sure that the right domain part part of their domain is ranked depending on the country they're, where they're searched. And it's, it is a, a huge, huge task. Like it's, you cannot underestimate how much effort goes into, you know, internalization. Sorry, internet. Yeah, I can't even say it now. Making your brand international. <laughs> I was trying to, trying to say that, but my, my voice was coming out too fast. So, um, but yeah, um, it's, it's just crazy when you start thinking about going beyond the UK or beyond the country in which you're operating in. Um, so yeah, but we've, we've got another brand that we're going to be talking to actually pitching for at the moment that want to do exactly the same thing. Like there's a lot of businesses out there that are looking into the open market outside of the UK and are thinking like, what can we do now? Like, what can we do to trade outside of the UK? Which is funny because obviously with everything that's gone on with, you know, the recent years with Brexit and trade becoming more difficult in some areas and no, but there's, there's a brands all over the world that can you know coexist together and be really successful and um yes yeah, it's, it's a challenge but um it can certainly be done can't it yeah yeah 100 percent. i think you know i've noticed it myself too with a couple of my brands where you know if they're selling products maybe selling to the us or canada for example is a bit cheaper because they pay less vat yeah well, obviously they pay yeah. less vat because <laughs> that's the uk so it's you know a lot of companies are wanting to do that now and I think especially with, you know, the pandemic, everything had to go online or at least yeah. 99% of life. And it's kind of made people think, mm, we can do it. Look at other brands. I mean, completely to the other end of the scale, we've got Amazon, global brand, eBay, although obviously they are more of a marketplace, but it's possible to do. I think you just really need to do your research and, you know, be confident that you're basically starting fresh in that new country. You yeah. can't expect to see exactly the same results straight away. Yeah. You know, True. you are starting fresh and you have to build up that reputation for users and for search engines. Yeah, no, that's it. What would you say the at the moment, like your number one best tip is for SEO? If you're a, you're a brand that wants to scale. Oh, now that is difficult. picking these out and throwing them at you. <laughs> yeah, so oh, the number one tip. Do you know what? It, it's not even a specific do this, do that kind of thing. It's actually keep on top of the trends, like be ahead of them. Do not be afraid to try something new. A lot of brands get to a point where, you know, they get really big, they're doing really well on SEO and they start going a bit stagnant. You know, they start thinking, well, maybe I'll just write a few more blogs or do X, Y, Z. But, you know, it's ever evolving. There's always new players coming in. So it's just be on top of it, but keep fresh, you know, appeal to your users. That is my biggest thing. People don't always, I suppose, put together the importance of user experience within SEO in terms of, you know, you need them users to, to love you. So it's invest in making your customers think you're the best at what you do. Yeah, that's it. It's amazing. I really love that. And then in terms of like, where you're seeing this go in the future 
like SEO with GA4 integrations, all this kind of stuff. Like what, how do you see it all evolving? Because I have a prediction. I'm going to tell you what my prediction is. I think I've already told you before. I think everything is going towards, you know, Google and other search engines containing a lot more of the content on there in their search results. And we've seen this with, you know, like a lot of rich results that you get in schema and stuff and also known like all this stuff. So what do you see the future of SEO being? Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with you there. Um, I definitely think we will see a lot more of, you know, rich results being pretty much commonplace for every search term. Main reason for that is, again, I think people sometimes forget Google is a business. You know, if people aren't getting the results they want or it's not efficient enough for them, they'll go and use Bing or DuckDuckGo. They'll, they'll move. They'll go somewhere else. So for Google, they need to make sure the users are getting what they want, not the webmasters and the SEOs and the businesses. There's a case of they need to keep them happy, but it's the users. So I think a lot of it will be that. And do you know the other thing? I haven't really got prediction about it as such. But when we start talking about the metaverse, I think that's going to throw a spanner in the works. Um, you know, in terms of how realistic everything they're saying is um, and how that will turn out, you know, realistically, brands are going to start building in advertising into the metaverse and being able to purchase something within it. So that's going to have its own complete mind-boggling <laughs> strategy to itself. And I think, you know, in the short term, the prediction would just be maybe a shift away from Google from a business perspective in terms of analytics and tracking because of the GA4 update. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope what they actually do, if you're listening Google, is uh, roll back and say, we made a mistake. Universal Analytics is back and everyone will clap and be happy. I just um, love Universal Analytics. It's, it's the best. <laughs> it is. And, you know, for a, I think for a lot of marketers, it's actually all we know. You know, if they've not used a different software, so if they haven't used like Adobe Analytics or anything else, you know, I think Universal Analytics, I think, has been around for maybe 10 years. You know, there's a lot of people in the marketing game at the minute that haven't been doing it for 10 years. So it's actually all they've known. So it's a bit sad to see it go. <laughs> yeah, it is sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, but, it'll know, be a sad day. Things have to change. Like, uh, we have to evolve. Everything's going to get better. So um, I'm sure, hopefully, Google are doing this for a good reason, unlike Apple with their tracking. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> privacy is also important. So this is like people should have the choice to opt out, I guess. And it's it makes things fair. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I uh, actually I suppose it's a prediction, maybe not so much for SEO, but, oh, what would they call that? It's a new type of advert um, where people actually opt in to receiving those adverts, but then the user who sees them gets paid for it as well as, you know, whatever big. company's serving it. So... That's the metaverse. That's yeah. where, it, where it's going to happen. You're going to jump can't, on the metaverse. Can't for the life of me remember the name. There was a name they called it. It's gone. So now everyone just thinks I'm just chatting rubbish. But it is there. It's a new type of ad that companies are trialing. And I think that's really interesting because as a user, as an end user, we can get paid for seeing an advert. You know, things are changing drastically from what we've known for the past 10 years. Yeah, no, it's true. I was going to ask you, actually, um, 
quite a few people I've talked to recently have got an Oculus Quest. Do you have one? I don't know. Do you know the main reason I don't? I get really travel sick and I don't think I could oh, handle no. VR. Honestly. <laughs> so everyone else will be sat there in the VR, in the metaverse, doing everything, and I'll just be sat there with, like, I don't know, a school Game Boy or something or an iPhone, which doesn't exist anymore, and just be sad because I get travel sick. It's funny that you said the future of SEO quite possibly could involve the metaverse. So you might be an SEO man that, you know, ends up getting car sick in the metaverse. Yeah, exactly. What did you just say? Oh, I got really sick, just sat at my desk in the metaverse. I got really car sick. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I was sure um, a few months ago, um, the guys over at Gymshark posted a, a podcast or a meeting they had. I was actually thinking that would be the reason I asked you is because I thought that would be a really cool way, way for us to have a meeting. Um, it's just to jump in there and, and host the podcast on here. We get another one in at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, we've seen things happen in the past on very smaller scales, mainly if it's looking at like maybe these YouTubers who are gamers and, you know, they've got some of the newer kind of products that are there on the market and it's similar to the meta version of the kind of meeting up virtually to go to like comedy shows or whatever it's obvious that's the way the world's going to go i think you know it it's kind of just a natural progression but it will be interesting to see how it affects marketing as a whole i I genuinely got bullied in the metaverse i'm not even joking do i want to ask and bullied me in the metaverse just putting it out there like it was awful they were they were basically trying to get me to look down at my t-shirt and then like laugh at me it was a dreadful dreadful way to jump in oh, oh dear i mean yeah there is that say <laughs> about that there is that isn't there, so? <laughs> it was a, it was a funny situation and i think um yeah everyone in the house was laughing so anyway that's all good so talking about <laughs> passion matthew um because like, we're kind of moving on from the technical SEO now. So if you're going to listen to this next bit, it's really about like, you know, how Matt's found his passion around doing what he's doing with technical SEO, but also just like any advice, any tips to anyone that's, you know, in that position at the moment where they're struggling a little bit, um, you know, like just to give some advice around how you can find your passion. So let's start with that, Matthew. Like, how did you find your passion with what you're doing? You know what, it might not be what people are expecting, potluck. <laughs> to begin with, if I'm going right down to it, it was potluck. Um, there's a lot that kind of went into it. I mean, I say potluck. I started out in an apprenticeship in marketing, but I didn't actually know that I was going into an apprenticeship in marketing, which is why I say potluck. Um, I also say marketing loosely-ish because I spent most of the time building WordPress websites. I enjoyed it. it. It taught me a lot, you know. I'm not going out there and saying I'm a coder and I could, <laughs> you know, be a developer, but I know how to build a website. And whilst doing that, there were, you know, little parts of PPC, SEO, a bit of organic social as well. So it was kind of an experience where I got into the world of marketing, which I think was the big thing. Part of me thinks I'd have made my way into it anyway, you know. I never knew what I wanted to do when I was growing up, ever. You know, so my options for my GCSEs, I don't know if they do them anymore or if I sound old. Um, 
I just chose random things. I did the same in college. You know, I'm actually not proud, but not afraid to say I failed college. I didn't even pass my first year because education wasn't for me, um, or I suppose not the natural academic form of education, you know, kind of see. And from that, I just went into working. I worked quite a few retail jobs, obviously. I think that's kind of a standard thing to do if you grow up in the UK. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so actually my first job, I worked at Asda. I looked absolutely amazing in that lime green, can't lie. Um, then I moved to Superdry, actually. I was there for a while. Um, and then Vans, obviously, was probably the big one for me because I'm a big Vans fan, so <laughs> that was nice. You're wearing Vans t-shirt now, if you can see. Exactly. Like, on, the, on the podcast, wait for this, but here you will. <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, like I say, kind of got that apprenticeship so I got a bit of an idea of marketing I'd say it was more of a holistic view so it was you can do xyz with it SEO always jumped out to me as part of it because maybe because I didn't spend that much time doing it it seemed more like a form of black magic than the other types of marketing that I was doing at the time um so from there my first i'm gonna call it real job in seo um was actually in-house which doesn't seem like an overly you know normal way to do it obviously a lot of people do it but i think a lot of people start agency side um but i worked in-house i was there for 18 months you know it was a really good brand um really exciting brand still doing incredibly well to this day um you know yeah, yeah. So they're called Tutorful. Used to be called Tutora. Um, so, I mean, that's a fun story in itself. But obviously, they grew from pretty small. I think I was their fourth employee. I think they've maybe got 40 employees now. Um, but they're one of the biggest private tuition platforms in the UK, I think worldwide. Um, so, while I was there, I was kind of learning SEO. More self taught. I did my marketing manager at the time at Tutorful was actually super useful as well. Um, he taught me quite a lot from a business perspective as well. I think where it really took off for me, though, was um, when they decided they were changing the name. So from Tutor to Tutorful, you know, what does that mean? Domain migration. And at this point, they were relatively large. Like The traffic levels to this website were, were impressive. So, you know, being, um, let's call it two years, a year into my career at that point and being like, yep, got this domain migration. I was like, huh, okay. Um, I've read countless articles for days, um, kind of looking into, you know, best practices for it, what needed to be done. Um, one thing that I'll, it sounds like one of them where you say it afterwards and it was like, you're just lying. I actually managed to call it to the exact day when after the migration we would hit the previous traffic level. I don't know how I did that. That was pure luck, but it made me feel quite good. Um, But I think from that point, I kind of thought, you know what? I love SEO. Like, it's a challenge. It's always changing. I've read all these articles and I've learned X, Y, Z, but actually when you look into it, half of them aren't relevant anymore because they were, you know, published two years ago. And uh, yeah, so I think... From that, I kind of just thought, I love this SEO. It, for me, it worked well because it's 
creative in a way, um, but it's also very, what's the right way? It's a problem solving kind of job to have, you know, there's always a problem to solve, whether it's a new update or a new change, or you need to figure out why you're in position three and not position one. What can we do to move up? It's a problem and you need to solve it. So for me, it was very much, I suppose it just worked well with my brain. I don't know yeah. how else to explain it. My brain's always worked like that. I like problem solving and, you know, kind of testing my limits. Um, but from that point, once I kind of did that migration, I thought, I love SEO. That was actually when I uh, applied for my job at Circulate and thought, you know what, I want to go and try agency side and I suppose test how I find agency side versus in-house. A lot of people have a preference one way or the other. Um, I know people in both like who prefer in-house and people who prefer agency. And I thought, I need to try it, you know, see how it goes, do it for multiple brands at one time. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now. What was the best thing you learned at Circulate when you were there? Best thing I learned at Circulate? Do you know what? I actually wouldn't hesitate to say the best thing I learned at Circulate was pretty much a lot of the business acumen from yourself and Danny. Um, obviously, you know, me, you and Danny built up a really good friendship as well in that time, as well as working together. Um, and yeah, I learned quite a lot in terms of, you know, managing um because obviously working with yourselves and working at circulate i did move up kind of the management ladder if you want to say um which you know for the first time doing that it can be daunting for anyone (laughs) like you know some people will find it daunting um but you know you and danny were always there with advice and stuff on it and i think for me that was the biggest thing it was also the experience of what you can do with marketing you know it's a hard job don't get me wrong I remember the night sat in your flat um 2am working on that Black Friday campaign needing to change all the adverts you know it's not for everyone yeah (laughs) it's not for everyone staying up till 2am like and you know that's not a standard thing you didn't make me do that but in the end no it was uh it was actually quite fun i think we just got sucked into it but at the end of the day obviously you won the award for the best campaign for that so it paid off and you know you think well i was tired for a day but it's won a camp it's won an award so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah i think it, it was a lot about kind of business acumen i suppose as well just kind of that drive because the one thing about you and danny and Everyone I know who works at Circulate, who's worked at Circulate, there's always said like the passion that you two have for basically you've got an end goal in sight and you've got medium and short term goals within there. And once you set your eyes on it, you're just gonna go for it. Yeah. And always that's overcome great. the obstacles. So yeah, that's great bit of peace, man. Yeah, it may not be, I suppose, what you're expecting from that, but I think sometimes, you know, it's you could work at any business and learn more about your specific skill. I could work at any agency and learn more about SEO. Yeah. But it's also then saying, what else can that business offer you? Because SEO will get you so far, but you need to be driven. And, you know, if you want to go into a managerial role, you need to understand that. If you want to go, you know, maybe similar to me, if you want to go down the freelance route, eventually you need to have some understanding of financials and cash flow, turnover, profit, loss, revenue, you know, just having that small understanding makes a world of difference. 
No, it's true. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all that feedback. I think it's great. And um, I guess like rounding this up, like what, what advice would you give to people that are maybe struggling at the moment to find that passion? Like, obviously you've, you've gone through, you've had a career of, you know, like you're, you're at where you're at now. You've been doing this for the last three months and you're, you seem to be so happy, probably the happiest I've ever seen you, um, which is great as a friend to say that. And um, I, I think like seeing other people get into that situation is, is really what I want this podcast to be about is how, how do you find your way into a place where, you know, you, you're feeling more positive and happy and passionate about what you're doing? Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of reiterate what, <laughs> what you kind of touched on there is you're also not the only person to have said that I seem to be the happiest I have been in either however long they've known me or a longer time. <laughs> if obviously like my family haven't seen me this happy for ages and a lot of it comes from passion. It wasn't that I wasn't happy before. I've, you know, it probably sounds a bit weird. I'm I'm just about to turn 28. I'm not exactly old. I've been, you know, working in SEO for probably around eight years now. But, you know, what I've achieved in my career, I've loved everything I've done throughout it to get to this point. And a lot of that came from my passion and finding the passion and, and you know, kind of believing in myself. And I think that is my advice to anyone there's probably two parts of advice to finding your passion one is just believe in yourself because deep down you will know something you want to do and or you'll have a dream of what you want to achieve and it's breaking that down to say you know if you turn around to me and said my dream is I want to uh, I want to be a millionaire go for it you know it's not an impossible task believe in yourself that you can go and be a millionaire but break it down before you get to a million, you need to earn half a million. Before you get to half a million, you need a quarter of a million. Before that, you need a job <laughs> or whatever you're doing. Like, There's always an easier step, not just revenue-based, but that's one. And my second one piece of advice, I think this is probably the bigger one, is don't let other people put you down because you know I've had multiple people, ex-partners, family members turn around to me and say, yeah, do you not think you've had quite a few jobs? Do you not think it looks bad? Like if you apply for a new job and I'm like, oh, well, you know, you've only been doing X, Y, Z for however long. But if I hadn't have made those jumps that I did make because I believed in myself and thought I can back up why I want this new job, I won't be where I am now. I'd probably still be back four jobs ago and I wouldn't be unhappy but I wouldn't be as happy as I am now and I wouldn't have the freedom I have. And it's very much, you know, people are, they'll either do it from a malicious point of view, in which case get that person out of your life. You don't need that. You need positive, not, not malicious. And the second one is, you know, like with my family members saying it, it came from a loving place. They were just worried about me thinking, is it going to look bad? You know, are you going to get fired if they find out that you've applied for a job or, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, they just wanted me to be secure. They wanted to make sure I had enough money to pay my bills and didn't end up jobless, which was a bit drastic. That was never going to happen. And as much as they meant it in the most loving way, if I'd have listened to them, I, I wouldn't, I, I probably wouldn't even be on this podcast now because things would have gone so different. So it's really just believing in yourself and ignoring the naysayers there's always going to be naysayers, friends, family, people you don't even know. But, you know, we just need to believe in yourself and think, I can do it. 
And as soon as you find something that you think this is fun, go for it. For me, a passion, if we're going to talk about, I suppose, from a, a career perspective, a passion is the first time you wake up in the morning and think, I don't even feel like I'm going to work today. I'm really buzzing to go in and, you know, do my work. Like I might have only had three hours sleep, but I'm buzzing. I can't wait. Let's get on it. You know, it's when work doesn't become work. <laughs> work becomes yeah. fun. And I think that's that's finding your passion. No, I think that's really good advice. And actually, like for listeners, I would second that because I had exactly the same issue um, when I first started my company, which we're now almost eight years into. Um, and I've been in the digital game for around 12 years. So, you know, like it's a long time. And I think eight years or so ago, I was with a girl and she said, why don't you just go get a normal job? When everything was difficult in our business and we were starting out the first six months, you know, someone turns around to you and says, why don't you go get a normal job? That will it really, you can take that two ways. One way of, yeah, I'll go get a normal job. This is too hard. Or the second way of, no, fuck that. <laughs> and apologies for swearing. But like, <laughs> that's how I felt at the time. And it's, it's really, I took the second option and and I didn't end up with that girl long term. So <laughs> joke, all jokes aside, like I think, yeah, you've got to you've got to listen to your heart and you've got to understand what you want long term. Actually, I read something amazing in a book the other day, um, and it's about understanding clarity. Uh, it's where are you at right now? Where do you want to be, and what's stopping you from getting there? And again, that's that. Basically, if you sit there and write down those things, so where am I at? I'm currently sitting here doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, where do I want to get to be? So you, you're, you're doing that. Okay, I want to I want to be working four days a week if that's how I want to work. And I want to, to achieve that, what's currently stopping me? And like, if you can work on the what's currently stopping me, then you can make more progress towards actually getting to your final destination. So yeah, I, th- I think like what you said really mimics how I feel as well. So it's, and I think how a lot of people feel, but you know, when you're very early out, in your career or starting a business or whatever it is you're doing it's sometimes you feel alone and I think it's really important if you are listening to this that you're not alone and actually like you just need to keep consistent in what you're doing and you will eventually get there yeah I I think a lot of it just comes down to I'm not even going to say having faith in yourself because it's pretty much what I've said before it's not being scared like you know December last year we'd just come out of all these lockdowns and the pandemic, I've literally just bought a house and I quit a job that was relatively, it was well-paying, you know, it was a stable job. I quit the job, I moved house and thought, I'm going to go and work for myself, start freelance. Like, you know, quite a lot of people did actually say, you're a bit crazy or or in whatever words they said, but three months later, they're all like, you're the happiest I've seen yet and I can't even tell you how long. And, you know, it was a risk I knew I had to take. But if you believe in yourself, you know, there's a lot of time. And I know you and Danny have had this in the past as well, Matt, is things will go wrong. (laughs) There's no point sugarcoating it. Things will go wrong. But when things go wrong, there's always a way out of it and you've just got to work for it. You know, if it's money, if the money stops coming in, Go out and win more money. Yeah. It's not that easy, but it's possible. You've done it before. Do it again and just persist. It's a go-getter attitude, isn't it? I love it. Well, Matthew, 
that pretty much runs up everything that we had planned to talk about today. And um, I think it's been really great to have you on the show, um, partly because, number one, you're a really good friend and I hugely respect you. And um, it's great to see you happy. It's great to see you doing your new venture. Um, and also, I think you've brought a lot of value around the SEO side of things to this discussion today. Um, and also, like for anyone that's, you know, three months behind you that's looking to get to where you're at now, like if they're listening to this show, I hope that they're going to turn around and say, well, actually, this guy's done it. I hope that I can maybe start focusing on those goals as well. So the Daily Hustle podcast is all about, you know, that positive thoughts and, and really trying to achieve big things in your life. So I wanted to just say thanks for everything. And um, yeah, we'll probably have you on the show again, no doubt, talking about some deeper level of GA4 at some point. Oh, <laughs> and, can't wait. <laughs> and then the crisis hits and we're like, ah, yeah, we need to get Matthew back on. Yeah, but, we'll come on. People will see I'm, I'm bold. Well, my hair's <laughs> fallen out from the stress, but we'll get there. No, I'm sure if it does get to that point. <laughs> you can follow Matthew across all social channels, just following Matt Jones. Um, but yeah, thank you so much today, Matthew. And um, yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you for having me.